Hello and welcome back to Leader Up, a podcast of Army Management Staff College. Leader Up is a professional conversation where we discuss a broad range of leadership and leader development topics with an emphasis on the Army civilian professional. I'm your host, David Howey. And Leader Up audience, we have a very, very special guest today. Uh, This is Mr. Frank Wenzel is our guest, and he is the newly assigned director of Army Management Staff College. And so, Frank Wenzel, I want to thank you, number one, for joining the fight with Army Management Staff College, number two, for uh, being with us today on Leader Up to talk about Army Management Staff College and the civilian education system. So thank you for being with us today. David, I appreciate having the opportunity, and I also appreciate the welcome. It's it, To hear you state that, I'm kind of overwhelmed to think that I get to be part of this team that I've been able to observe. It, it's just a fantastic place to be in my ongoing Army career. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm very honored. And I think uh, I speak for many of my colleagues. We're very happy to have you in, in AMSC also. Well, great. Thank that. That's what it's about is the people. So thank you. Absolutely. So I'd like to start with uh, just kind of your background, what you did in the Army uh, and and what you've done as as an Army civilian, because you've been an Army civilian for for quite a while. And so um, what is your background and kind of how did you start uh, as an Army civilian? Yep. Uh, Great question, because our our development as leaders – no two paths are exactly alike, but there are some commonalities. I mean, it's common to find, you know, individuals around Fort Leavenworth who served a couple decades in uniform, and I'm one of those. Um, retired as a colonel in 2008, and honestly, I felt that uh, the majority of my development has come since that point. I would not have thought so in 2008, and maybe we'll have a chance to talk more about this in this interview but my military background, my civilian education before I uh, became an officer and since uh, all essential parts, I mean, training, education, and experience are all pieces of making us who we are. Um, since my retirement in 2008, I was a, a seminar leader in SAMS, spent eight years in the uh, Army Leader Development Division of the Center for Army Leadership, an extremely important preparation time for uh, for being an AMSC and then for the last uh, seven years, I've been uh, the deputy director of the Combat Training Center directorate over in, in CAC-T. Um, all these pieces, there's not one part of it I can do without to bring me where I'm at. One thing I'd like to mention that is extremely applicable from my active duty years, I had three jobs really where I worked in very close proximity to some of our most senior leaders. Uh, watching how those leaders invested in their subordinates, uh, how they spent real time thinking of succession planning, especially how they managed their time, uh, what they delegated, how they trusted their subordinates, who they let into their inner circle. Um, I was able to observe and, and, and grow from trying to adopt some of these myself. So you, you just don't know sometimes the situation you're in until looking back in hindsight and realizing the seminal moments that cross your path that you didn't realize it when you when you hit them. And so you you mentioned uh, when you retired from the army and became a civilian, and you said that there's so many uh, development things that that you uh, witnessed, encountered. 
Can you just tell us a little bit more about that, things that, 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 that you've seen since you retired and became an Army civilian that, that are kind of sticking with you now as you step into this role? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I highlighted the time at the uh, Center for Army Leadership beginning in 2008, um, working one of the principal authors of two iterations of the Army Leader Development Strategy. So that required not only the academic work to look at the, you know, the, the domains of the uh, institutional, operational, self-development domains, but as I mentioned, the training and education experience, how do these interact to come to realization that education doesn't just take place in the institutional domain? Training doesn't just take place in a cross of the institutional operational domain. Self-development, there's a piece of all of these in all of these. Uh, So to come to that realization, you know, everything is a value and we're not talking about stovepipes of individual development. Okay, now I'm going to do my education time. Now I'm going to do my training time. No, during training, there's a piece of education. During education is a piece of training. Now, one might have a capital E and a small T, and then it's reversed to capital T and small E, but all three play during the various times we're spending during our careers uh, in the various domains. And now working in the institutional domain, an educational institution, I'd be remiss to think training is not a part of this because like when we're, we're, we're educating supervisors, the training and management are part of the education. And if we, if we stovepipe these things, we're making a mistake. And when they get back to the real point of application in their ongoing careers, we've done a disservice. So coming to that realization, as well as learning how to work through the Army system, you know, these are documents that are signed by the Secretary of the Army and the Chief of Staff of the Army. So having to learn the mechanics of how to work through the Army's uh, systems has proven extremely valuable. Very few people love that aspect of the job, but as, as, as leaders, we, we can't do without an understanding. So, and then, and then, uh, CTCD, it was interesting to go from the, uh, purely institutional domain back to the training domain in a support fashion and be able to apply a lot of what I've learned. And then again, find out my development just continued as I, you know, approach the time where I'm coming back here to AMSC. So. All is of value, all is applicable, uh, the, the training, theory, the experience all come to bear. And so this next question uh, is going to be both for kind of the external audience, the, the Army civilian professionals out there, but also for the internal audience, folks in Army Management Staff College who haven't, maybe haven't interacted with you directly because you're our leader. Uh, what, kind, what is your leadership philosophy yeah, this, this is a very important question, um, and I'm glad to have the chance to speak on it for just a moment. Um, I, I very much prefer building a consensus. I mean, the I just talked about the experiences and the training and the education that I know has made me who I am. Well, we've got currently 95 plus or minus folks in AMSC who all bring their own kit bag of valuable training, education, and experience. So for any of us, including me, to think like, I know this, I do this. Um, number one, I, I probably don't understand each individual scenario as well as I think I should before making a decision. Number 
two is I, I have the responsibility now to develop those subordinates in ways that I can bring something to the table just as I recognize they do. So it's an opportunity for development. It's an opportunity for leadership. It's an opportunity for evaluation. All these things happen in the normal day-to-day decision-making points that we have approaching. So what I want is an environment of trust. Uh, folks know they can be heard. Uh, they know their input is valued and desired. And on the other hand, I know that, okay, we're going to have to choose, and I'm sorry, but we're going to do it this way, to know that they are going to execute wholeheartedly, uh, want to be heard. Those, those kind of things are going to happen. Um, so with that goes an open door. Um, I'm open to hear from anybody, anytime. And I, I really make it a habit um, when someone walks into my office and I'm, I'm in the middle of working on something, okay, this individual took the time to walk down and wants to talk to me about it. I put down the pencil, put down the email, lean back and, uh, Frank, what's on your mind? And just have that conversation. And, uh, the respect of time is extremely important both ways. And I, I, I found it's, it's extremely effective to not just be too preoccupied and shut people out. So, um, I believe in giving individuals the benefit of the doubt. Um, I think everybody wants to succeed and do the right thing in in every situation. Um, I also think that as a, as a coworker, um, I have the responsibility to let folks know if I'm concerned. You know, if it, somebody's doing what they think is the right thing, and I'm feeling that that's not what we needed to do, I just need to tell them. Had it happen last week on something I assumed I had, I had told the team we were going to do, but I realized I'd never said it. It was just an assumption on my part and almost had a, a minor thing over that. But so I, you know, I just need to be aware of letting folks know if I'm, I'm not seeing what I thought we'd agreed to, uh, just have to say it. Um, I, I'm a real believer in uh, face-to-face counseling. No kidding. You know, not, not, not just sign a debt map or a piece of paper, but, uh, what I really like is uh, for those I rate, we're going to go over and grab a cup of coffee and sit down out of the office and spend an hour. We'll talk the required, the non-required, the family, you know, conversations like we're having right now, whatever it may be. Extremely important to go in and building a, uh, a trusting team. Loyalty and trust I mentioned earlier, and I just want to emphasize those it's a two-way street, and I'm loyal to those who are part of the the organization. It's um, we think of loyalty as up the chain. Well, no, it's it goes in in each direction. And the final one, I think I'll lump in here: valuing time. So meetings, and it's it's a necessary part of life that none of us may relish. But those who are calling the meeting, especially, and those who are participating to think through in advance, okay, why are we meeting? What's the task and purpose? Why, why are we sitting here? And what's the desired outcome? Um, if you don't do that before a meeting, you need to question, should we be meeting at all? Because just uh, otherwise, we'll just find ourselves having rambling meetings without reaching any kind of a desired end state. I'm not talking about just a chat in the hallway. I'm saying it's a formal meeting set for 2 o'clock and all the right people are going to come. Well, if we can't say why, I need to back off and get my act together before I burn up everybody's time. And related to that is the importance of meeting suspenses. Um, Somebody's waiting on whatever it is that we have to submit whether it's to hire or to appear or whatever. And I, I take that seriously. I get things to sign every single day and items I need to look at. I, 
I, I don't want to go home before the end of the day without returning it because somebody is waiting for that to be able to complete their job and meet someone else. It's a, it's a chain reaction. Um, but if for some reason I can't, I need time. I got to sleep on. I need to think on this thing. I want to let the individual know it, it, it's going to take me 48 hours. I have to absorb this. I don't understand or whatever. I have questions. Uh, but again, it goes back to the two way street kind of thinking on, on mutual respect of each other's time. I really like that point that you made, um, and you, you put it in this document that you sent out to us in Army Management Staff College. Uh, you give us the benefit of the doubt that we're doing the right things, uh, and if you have an issue or a concern, you'll let us know. So it's, it's drive on and do what you think is right. If I got an issue, I'll talk to you about it. If you don't hear from me, uh, keep going. Keep doing the right thing. David, that that is so right and I, I like the way you express that because that is that is absolutely true uh, i want people to realize they have the ability to get the the job done know what right looks like understand the broad intent um, what i found over the years is if the more prescriptive you get as a leader your subordinates are going to do what you say they are folks are going to execute but the more prescriptive you get and you give a laundry list of 17 things they need to do, they will accomplish those 17 things. Now, trouble is, I as the leader don't know items 18 through 50 that I should have included. That individual knows what they are, but folks get so tied in on doing the things that I said the individuals must do versus an understanding of a intent, a shared understanding. Outcomes are defined. You've Let's, you apply all that you know to figure out how to get there. Oh, boy, the exponential growth in mission accomplishment understates it because oftentimes there's, a, there's an application of excellence that far exceeds what you thought was even possible as a leader if you unleash people and they understand what they're supposed to do and can, can just have the freedom to, to do it. And, and you mentioned a, if I have a concern, I'll get back to them. Sometimes, and I may have mentioned this earlier, I find I have to go back and reflect myself. You know, did I, was I clear in my guidance? You know, maybe the way they're doing it makes more sense than what I was thinking. So oftentimes I'll do a little period of self-reflection before I say anything, because sure enough, folks want to do what's right. Um, and that includes what the boss says. So sometimes it's worth saying, well, what does the boss need to say anything at this point? <laughs> maybe this is working in the right way. Right. And sometimes we hear this, I used to hear this, alluded to when I was especially in uniform, quote unquote, why did you do that? That's what you told us to do. Yes, I know it's what I said, but it's not what I meant. That's it. And, and then you have to go back and adjudicate something else because it's it's that being over prescriptive. Yep. Um, that, and that's, that's a basic, basic mission command philosophy, is it not? Do you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that is exactly what it is. Uh, and, and, being overly prescriptive and micromanaging are, are, are two cousins in the same family that often go together. And uh, when I catch myself doing that, I'm embarrassed. And I've, I've gone to people and apologized and said, you, know, I, <laughs> you weren't doing it the way I thought. And I misinterpreted that as wrong. And it's not because I can now see that this you're marching on and actually accomplishing four of the objectives I had in mind when I was focusing on this one, because they understand like mission command, they understood the intent and are clearly moving the right way. Just have to unleash them and let it go. 
your your career with the army you you got commissioned when in one more time uh commissioned in 87 had to do some quick math okay <laughs> and so it, during that time uh how have you seen the role of army civilians change yeah and, and what will the future be for army civilians great question now i'll confess as a you know infantry second lieutenant my only brushing with Army civilians is when we needed to draw something to go to the field or deploy. Very, 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 very little. Uh, but however, as rank and responsibilities grew and started to interface more with civilians, I realized, well, they're, they're, it, it's much broader than I encountered. I saw a tremendous change as, as the GWAT hit and more positions that were specifically green suit. Now the job that I am in right now as director of MSC was a colonel. Right. And when, when I came into the army, okay, this is a, among a long laundry list of positions that transitioned from green suit to civilian for a myriad of reasons, all right and correct that have transformed the, uh, the ACPs from being, uh, managers and executors and administrators, all still extraordinarily important to the operating functioning of our army, but also throwing in far more as leaders, senior leaders, uh, with a, a needing necessary leadership skills in order to execute those missions. I think it swung far more that way throughout the course of my career. Now, again, I'll say tainted by the fact that, you know, when you're when you're down as a platoon leader with a limited scope compared to when you're a colonel with a bigger one and now is, you know, through the GS ranks, different perspectives influenced what I think I was seeing. But it's, it's been backed up by, by as I've done research as well. Great question. And so Army Management Staff College is the proponent for the civilian education system. And so people out there who are in the Army Civilian Corps, they, they look to us for – uh, the civilian education system, the classes that we teach, uh, and all of the other uh, guidance and advice that we might give them. So here we are in 2023, and what is your vision for what the future of Army Management Staff College and the civilian education system, what should our future look like? What is your vision for where we should be, where we need to be in the coming years. Yeah, this this was actually on my mind before I even had an inkling that I would be part of the AMSC team. Um, what we need is that that the AMSC experience, civilian education experience, is is a sought after and essential part of meeting the current and future needs of the Army on an individual basis, so that. You know, that GS-11 aspiring to enter management and supervisory roles leader, as well as the uh, Colonel GS-15 SES, both looking inward saying, we need to get our people into CES. It is value added to the Army. And I want to be able to quantify that and, and, and show that. And we're working on various modes of research to be able to show uh, data supporting what we intuitively know is correct. Uh, I spend time every week, make a point of it, of getting into seminars, whether it's it's virtual, live, Blackboard. 
I am so encouraged when that happens. You know, part of a position like this, you spend a lot of time in meetings and talking budget requirements and out years and numbers matching up. That's just absolutely essential and, and things that, you know, I have to do. But to spend time in the seminars and get back to the basics and realize here is well we're showing our value to the Army. It's investing in the development of today's and tomorrow's leaders. Those individuals then go out and they realize they had an excellent developmental experience, so they want to come back for the next level of CES. They're also counseling their subordinates now and in the future that, hey, that you need to do this. So we need to keep uh, investing in the successes that we we have, as well as furthering the mindset that the CES is not only worth the investment of time to to you know in attendance, it is essential. And if someone wants to be an effective leader, they need what AMSC offers. That that is the feedback that I get uh, from you know as I talk to individuals graduating from our courses. Um, we're working to be able to capture that through research to show more more trends and data that we can use to to back up those those anecdotal experiences. I think all that'll bring us to the point where we realize um, AMSC is sought after. Uh, you know, civilians want to be here, and more importantly, their supervisors know they want to line them up to get their their chance. And you kind of talked about this a little bit, but if you can elaborate some, just some of the things that you've seen in Army Management Staff College, either either the faculty or the students or whatever it is, or the staff, that, that's just impressed you since the time that you've, you've been here. Yeah. David, it, it, there, there is no doubt it's the people. I mean, I talked about our mission, and the, you know, we're a unique Army asset. No, no one else – can really do what we do. I mean, we, we have a real impact on the Army's ability to defer, fight, and win our nation's wars. Uh, if that's not something to be proud of, I, I, yeah, I, I can't think of what it is. But the the thing that's number one on my mind is is really the people. And I professionals who who have so care about what they're doing that they – set conditions so that in-seminar experience I spoke of a minute ago occurs. Um, I see it when I – that is really what we deliver for our Army, but it comes from the dedication of our professionals. Um, the, the teammates in AMSC that I talk to every day, their eyes just light up with a spark, and you can hear the enthusiasm as the, in the voice as we start to discuss what we do for the Army, how we can better the experience – um, examining our, our the the established outcomes that we have for CES, how do we need to change those, and what modifications do we need to make in the curriculum to get to that? You know, it, to, to those on the outside, these these might mistakenly sound mundane. To those in the AMSC family, <laughs> it's a it it is an absolute passion. Now that part of that is it, this kind of bleeds back into the leadership philosophy. I feel it is so important to uh, take hiring actions very seriously. I think leaders at all levels need to realize this is administratively the most important thing we do. The most important is is executing the mission with the students. But choosing our teammates, executing a proper hiring action to bring the right individuals into the team, that determines our future success. 
It determines how effective we're going to be, how efficient we're going to be getting someone who is a fit in the culture we have. I'm not saying just, you know, okay, they're, they're the same as everybody else, hire them. No, 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 that's not what I said because we may have blind spots in our culture we need to fill in our hiring actions. But getting the right individual with the level of, of trust and character to fit your team is far more important than picking the person with the requisite level of competence. We can teach what they need to do. But to teach someone the character and honesty and trust that we're looking for, someone who can be in our circle, is uh, that you honestly can't make up sometimes by the time you reach the hiring point in their career. Uh, so do your hiring actions carefully because as soon as they're in, they're in. And like I mentioned earlier, loyalty is a two-way street. Once you're part of the AMSC family, I'm loyal to you. We're all loyal to each other. You're in. So we have the one opportunity to pick the team carefully, uh, taking all factors into account. It, it's just a, it's a sad thing. We've all seen it when a hiring action happens and it's just not a good fit from all perspectives, not putting blame on either side. Um, we can get it right. It just takes some time and take it seriously. Let's talk about the, maybe the short-term or intermediate uh, future for uh, Army Management Staff College. And we'll talk about the three delivery modes that, that we're doing now and just w- what are they and is that kind of what our future is going to be for maybe two years, maybe three years down the road? Great question. And yes, we, we will continue with the three delivery modes being resident here at Fort Leavenworth, uh, the mobile education team where we deliver a, a resident-like, and I'll get back to the like in a moment, experience at a point of need. So for instance, we'll go to Fort Bragg and have a mobile education team there where we're giving a a resident experience, but it's not here at Fort Leavenworth, it's at Fort Bragg. And the final being purely virtual online. Uh, tra- now, We'll continue to meet the Army's requirements at the point of need. And right now, uh, METs are showing um, that they're they're popular given the demands of people's time. And we're, we're going to institute blended options where we have part of that resident experience is virtual. And then there's also a resident in-person experience. So, so more to come on that one. Um, one thing I, I want to make sure we include in our thinking as we evaluate how to get the right balance of resident met met being that mobile education team and virtual Um, when we conduct a virtual offering of a course um, everybody by and large is from that location so if we go to redstone arsenal and conduct an intermediate course well everybody's from redstone Uh, when we conduct a resident course at fort leavenworth what we're seeing is people are, are here from all over the world Literally, you have folks from Korea, Germany, Texas, and so the the level of experience and discussion and the, the the development that occurs by being able to draw on that larger base of experience versus with a met, everybody a lot of them know each other. It's just you know it's it's the way we do it here, et cetera, kind of things can set in. So it's just something to consider among one of many considerations on what is best for our Army as we, we continue down the road and evaluate our balance. But, yes, the, the three will continue. There's no doubt about it. Right now we're working to get that that reestat correctly adjusted to meet the needs of the Army of how many resident seats, how many met, and how much we should rely on virtual. 
And I, I agree completely that uh, teaching a Met is completely different from teaching a seminar here at Fort Leavenworth. I've seen it. And sometimes because people are in a seminar with others from their installation, there's a, a little reluctance. To, the candor maybe suffers a little bit because of that. Yep. Um, and so, I, I understand. It's only natural. Right. Yep. And I, it's been amazed to sit in a resident seminar and watch that play out. Right. And folks drawing on the way they did it. And when they're open, and they will be by the time the seminar ends, to say, huh, we never thought of that. <laughs> kind of, those kind of moments, very valuable. The other thing that can happen at a MET that surprised me is kind of this internecine uh, fighting uh, that we're not aware of when we go in. These these uh, three students were at each other's throats the first week uh, of a MET that I was doing. Come to find out, two of them worked for the engineers, and and the uh, and the third one was the pool manager, and they didn't get his pool opened, and so they're they're fighting <laughs> the whole time. And and I the second week I said, what's going on? Why is this happening? And they said, oh well, this this and this. Yep. So there's well, as that baggage can really become a an interesting. Uh, it, it's something you'd have to deal with. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Illustrates the point, I think. And we want to, but we we want to provide options for the members of the Army Civilian Corps out there, so that regardless of their lifestyle or job, they have some way to get their CES yep. done. Regardless, David, you're right, and we always will because I we know there are folks who just can't get away for a variety of reasons. You miss them personally. You know, somebody may own a a, a, a a hog farm and somebody's going to feed the pigs in the evening. And that's right. part of his, you know, he took the job and it's, this is part of his life. No travel. Well, okay. He, he needs the opportunity as well. Yeah. The three modalities will, will always be part of uh, our offerings. And I'd like to move to another topic and just get your, your thoughts about this. And it is equivalency and constructive credit. Uh, because if, if I've gone through certain uh, PME courses I can apply and and not have to go to a CES course. Um, obviously, we see the benefit of that. It's time. You don't have to devote that time. But there's a downside to it also. And so where, where do you stand on that? And kind of what what would be the reasons that that uh, we might start moving away from from that as a, as a policy? Yep. Uh, I, I'm, I'm starting to reopen that conversation. I mean, I've already started with, with our, our stakeholders, you know, uh, and I think it is time to reopen it. Um, I, I'm one of those who took credit, did not attend CES. Uh, in hindsight, I realize, boy, I could have done a lot better than being OJT'd along the way in the beginning. Uh, I've also come to another realization and I'm not, again, I'm not saying that now after 15 years as an ACP, it would be a wise investment of the Army's time to send me now to a course. So, you know, if someone's out there and they've been 15 years as an ACP, well, the OGT, the tough part is done. The investment's made. I'm saying I should have done it in 2008 when I first became an ACP supervisor. And there, there's a number of sides to it. One side is, I understand, and I was there saying, I, look, I'm a leader. I'm, yeah, yeah brigade, I, man, I've worked at these levels. I, 
Well, what I overlooked though, as part of that, and but recognizing in hindsight, there were holes in my development that I didn't know weren't there. I had blind spots, you know, I, merit system principles. I could go through a laundry list of things that, and arguably supervisor development, educational fill in some of that. There's also another aspect to this is the, the students in the seminar could really benefit from the prior service individual's presence in that seminar. Um, I can't tell you how many times, you know, students in a seminar when I've been sitting in, man, man I wish my, my boss could really benefit from this. Well, come to find out by talking in the break, their boss may have been a, you know, retired Lieutenant Colonel who started as a GS 12 is now a 14 and never had to do CES. So the element of the army investing by having individuals who are prior service, because there are a lot of us, but to say they, they never do CES. Well, we've taken a large part of necessary educational experience out of the CES seminar. If it's only people who are 100% civilian background or something that didn't garner credit, uh, we're lacking. And it, the, the experience is, is not what it could be. In hindsight, I really realized that I, I could have done better had I been through CES. And I'll even be so, you know, I said, arrogant to say some others may have benefited from their CES experience had I been there for those weeks in the seminar. So both were missing. So it's just a matter of reopening the the conversation. Um, things have changed over the years. And as I said, as the role of ACPs has evolved over the decades, uh, I think it's a good idea to go back and revisit this thinking. As we start winding this conversation down, I want to ask you a question about uh, leader, another question about leadership. And, and it's, can we teach leadership? How can we teach leadership? Can I take someone and how do I do it to make them better at uh, being a leader? Yeah. That's, that's a question that came up last week at the uh, continuing education for a senior leaders course that we offer here. And I, somebody asked that from the audience, are leaders born or made? And the answer is, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It's a, there's, there's nothing that excluded from building the leader. Um, and the, the, the path to get there looks different for every single individual. Um, I mentioned it earlier, that, that combination of, of training, education, and experience, studying the theory, case studies, individuals who invested in each of us when we were, you know, in past years, younger in life, even the investment we're now making in the next generation of leaders will develop me as I am investing in the individual who I think is someone I've identified for a, a leader succession in future in the organization. Um, all of them, training, education, experience, and all the domains is uh, are essential ingredients. Yes, leadership can be taught. Um, yes, the application of that leadership and the experience um, – both in the training domain, operational deployments in the classroom, uh, being mentored, mentoring, uh, all of these go into it. So uh, it's it's a it's an abstract, but yes, it, leader, leaders are born, leaders are made, all of it feeds into it, and it's never complete. Anyone who thinks I've arrived, I've got it, they need to read Admiral McRaven's books and realize there is no such thing. 
And so, Frank Wenzel, I want to thank you so much for uh, being with us today on Leader Up. And is is there anything else, any other topics that that are on your plate that you'd like to talk about, or any points that we did talk about that you'd like to reemphasize uh, as we close this interview out? Uh, David, I just express again to all the the stakeholders in the civilian education system, and this goes from from some of the most senior members of our army in the Pentagon down to, you know, everyone we interact with every single day in my office uh, and my teammates, the dedication that folks feel for the importance of educating our civilian corps to meet the army's requirements, realizing that, that the army will not be effective if we're not serious, if we're not educating the force, um, I just appreciate everybody's dedication and the way they put their shoulder into this fight every day, normally without prompting. It's just because of a, an obvious personal dedication and belief in our mission and vision. I, I just thank everybody. And so, Mr. Frank Wenzel, again, thank you for joining us today on Leader Up, and thank you for uh, joining the fight with us uh, here in Army Management Staff College. Thank you, David. It's an honor. And so, Leader Up audience, what did you hear today from our new AMSC director? We're so glad to have this man uh, at the head of our organization. What did you hear that that kind of caught your interest? Uh, if you haven't done your grade appropriate CES class, uh, are you ready to do it? Will you sign up and and come on up here to Fort Leavenworth with us and, and get that taken care of? Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and keep in touch and join us again next time for another episode of Leader Up. As always, if you have any questions or feedback or would like to learn more about our podcast, please check the description for our email and for our website. Thanks for listening.